just speaking a language. At its core, it follows the principle of survival. In this day and age, speaking a language can even play a detrimental role at one's career or even take it further, as we are likely to suffer judgment. It can even shape how we see and interpret the world. However, are we prone to a more intellectual prejudice when interacting from people from other cultures? Today, um, we have Mina, who is um, also an English teacher here. So, how are you, Mina? Uh, hi, Stefano. I'm very good, thanks. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm also an English teacher. I've been working at Cultura Inglesa since 2014. I'm an avid language learner and I love language teaching as well. I speak uh, Persian, uh, which is my mother tongue. I come from Iran. And uh, I speak Turkish uh, also because I lived in Turkey for a while and uh, then I moved to Brazil and I learned uh, Portuguese. So, as you can see, I love uh, learning languages as well as teaching. And this is the Cultura Inglesa podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Cultura Inglesa podcast. So, uh, my name is Stefano, and um, I'm an English teacher here at Couture Inglesa. And um, interestingly enough, I, my, my parents, um, my father is Italian and my mother is Russian. So, you know, the, uh, the, the common pathway would be to, to speak English, but to do that, I had to learn it. And um, <clears throat> as, a, as a teenager, um, you know, there were other people who didn't speak English um, in, my, in my social life and um, there was some backlash because of it, because people didn't understand what I was saying, right? Um, so, Mina, having come from another country, have you ever faced any cultural shock from a language standpoint? Uh, I think language... Uh can be considered one of the uh, biggest culture shocks, especially if you arrive somewhere and you don't speak their language and the way that the native speakers of that culture and language treat you plays, plays a big role in your uh, acculturation process in the, in the country that you have just moved in, which was my story uh, in, uh, arriving in Brazil. I could only say obrigada. And yeah, a lot, probably. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. And uh, the 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 first day I arrived in Brazil, I was at work, so I had to find a way to communicate with people. And uh, sometimes I share this story with my students about the way they feel uh, confident or sometimes insecure about uh, mm -hmm. speaking uh, in English and. Uh, you know getting the message across and they they seek for perfection sometimes and yeah. uh, i use this experience to talk about this topic with my students you know it's interesting that you should mention it because um i feel like there is a difference between uh before the pandemic and after the pandemic because i feel that more now than ever the students they have to um learn how to 
how to say what they want to say because I feel like especially Brazilian people they like to disguise what they say a lot also, mm -hmm. you know um, yes and in, in addition to that you know because uh, linguistically speaking um, English and Portuguese they they uh, they are both um, they share some roots so that they can transfer some uh, rules or some words from uh, Portuguese to English or from English to Portuguese and sometimes it causes a lot of headache for a student especially when it comes to false friends uh, so sometimes it comes to their help and sometimes it backfires when students mm -hmm. they are trying to uh, speak and they tend to translate and sometimes when they translate and this the uh, it helps them and they, they can get the message across but sometimes they can't i remember an example uh, a, a clear example that comes to my mind is uh, at a restaurant uh, an american tourist asking for salad and the, the the waiter he said we don't work with salads and now i know that what he was trying to say he was just R rendering the structure that na, no trabalhamos com salad. It makes yeah, a lot of yeah. sense for me now learning the language, so being aware of some structures uh, in the in both languages, it helps the communication. But um, uh, unfortunately, it was not a good experience for that writer that day, uh, but it was not his fault that uh, he was trying to communicate because he was not responsible to, to be fluent in English, you know, sometimes um some of these experiences it it gave me a lot of insights when i go to the classroom and i am with students so um it it helps me um see the behind the scene why certain things are said the way they are said for example I feel like that, especially not only for teachers, but also for people who are learning the language, um, we should obviously look at the structure, but also from a cultural standpoint, right? And it, I feel like it's something that more often than not, it gets sidetracked. Um, and um, I get to see like some similarities between especially uh, Latin American people and um, and the difference when people from Europe learn a language, you know. Um, so where do you think that hails from? Where do you think mm. this, ha uh, this sort of thing mm -hmm. takes place? Uh, I think it's a, it's a very interesting yet tough point to talk about, you know, because uh, now we are comparing uh, uh, West to the rest of the world like their experience sometimes uh, in many things is completely different from the way we experience things especially when it comes to education and language learning process so when you when you uh, uh, travel to uh, European countries you realize that they they can speak English since uh, simply at school they 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 learn speaking English and communicating it's not only the grammar and vocabulary but they learn communication uh, and they don't need to invest uh, more money in going to a language school or you know other ways of uh, well, not not only money but time and energy 
to learn the language outside school. So uh, I think there are many, many factors to be taken into consideration when we are comparing uh, language learners' experience in Europe and language learning experience in Latin America. And not only Latin America, I would say Far East or Far Eastern countries or Middle East, African countries as well. Well, um, for some African countries, the story might be different. But speaking of uh, language learners experience in Iran, for example, or in Turkey or in uh, Saudi Arabia or in Brazil or in Argentina uh, is more or less similar because, well, of course, not linguistically, because, you know, uh, Middle Eastern countries, uh, they uh, they have a completely different language and writing system so uh, there might be less interference but again in this in the way they encounter language they they feel uh, inferior to the language and it impacts their experience mm-hmm. uh, so I think this is something we need to find to fight uh, and need to raise the students awareness that uh, just as all people are equal languages are equal as well and we we need to bring their awareness i think you will not to sacrifice your own identity in the process right exactly. because it's like people they get so judgmental as to um how to learn a language you know and the right pronunciation and etc and i feel like it um you know it takes uh it takes from the interesting part of learning a language because the person will not um, they don't want to speak the language anymore, you know, because it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And uh, it's such a pity because uh, um, we could ease, not easily, of course, but we, I think we should uh, replace this uh, pain of feeling inferior to the joy of learning and doing what we want to do through the language that we learn. Uh, however, unfortunately, it's a it's a world of prejudices. Unfortunately, so Absolutely. language is not an exception, and it does suffer from different aspects. And I think it's not only students, uh, n- not only the teachers' responsibility to to raise this awareness, but I think everybody's responsibility, a, a tourist's responsibility, not to expect that uh, when you go to a, a tropical country, for example, you should you should go with this expectation that everybody has to speak English. So, you know, uh, I think, it, of course, it's a plus and you're expected and it's, it's important, but we have to consider the, the sociopolitical aspect of uh, the, the, mm-hmm. um, the dominance of English in the world. Um, however, we are still in the minority, and but we are trying to spread this message that uh, I, I think, as I mentioned, uh, this is not the the point to uh, to recognize people with. So um, I think uh, it's a it's an important aspect. It helps mm-hmm. communication, but uh, because th- there is a lot of pressure on. Um, language learners and if they don't uh, they, they cannot fit in or they cannot uh, get into the, the job market easily so sometimes it's just becoming a more um, uh, it hindering fact rather than encouraging them to learn the language and uh, 
use it in their in their lives. issue you know because um, there, there's a lot of companies that they require candidates to speak the language but um, more often that, than I care to admit they don't need it for their jobs you know so I feel like there should be um, you know a limit really you know mm-hmm. and, and people to ask themselves where should they go as um, from a fluency standpoint, you know, exactly. because people don't even know where they want to to get at, you know, they um, they don't have a clear goal is what I mean. That's true. That's very true. And uh, we are bombarded on social media. This is what we see, uh, especially since the pandemic, that there are more online classes uh, to or more uh, tutors who appear on YouTube and they create YouTube channels that speak like a native speaker, speak like native speakers. Like uh, they are screaming at people that look, you either speak like a native speaker or you're not a competent speaker. Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I like to say that they swarm on Instagram, you know, um, like um, just the other day I saw this guy who like he was talking about phrasal verbs and like the point that he was trying to, to, to uh, the message that was being put across is that if you, if you don't use phrasal verbs, um, you're just not, um, a very good speaker actually you know um, and um, it worries me when I get to see my students talking about it you know it's a it's a serious yeah issue. exactly because for 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 us the, the point is becoming a better communicator rather than only becoming a good speaker because uh, interaction is and uh, is another factor and I, I was very happy to see a couple of years ago that this point, this, uh, uh, if I'm not wrong, it's communicative competence that was added to the European Framework of Reference mm-hmm. in the assessment of languages. So it's not only the, the pronunciation, uh, vocabulary, grammar and structure, but it's your being a good communicator. And this shows a lot of understanding towards people. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, this is something that uh, I think we need to focus on and language learners, they should be aware of this, that we are learning the language to communicate. So it's not only the, the, the perfection of the language that's going to help us, but uh, our understanding of the, the history of that language, uh, the, the community that speaks that language, which is an important fact. Don't, don't you think um, that there is an issue because when you get to look at course books, usually most of the like listening a lot past, of issues. It, yeah, <laughs> it comes from native speakers, so we don't get to like have a lot of experience of I don't know like listening to Vietnamese people, Chinese people, or even um, you know Japanese people. 
yes it, there's a big issue there um but again um uh, it's a it's a consumer i'm trying to coin a word here <laughs> they, they they rely i don't mean a, not only a consumer risk society but also uh, uh, they rely too much on the market because it's the uh, selling point, isn't yeah it? exactly because they want to sell those books and you know they cannot they cannot risk um, of course there are changes there are change there, there there is awareness but uh, you know tiny uh, steps are taken but it's not enough definitely however uh, Unfortunately, the the internet or uh, social media is bombarded with a lot of uh, false information and misinformation. But again, we have a lot of other aspects that we we can we can search for it. And uh, we know that international companies. Uh, I have students here who say uh, we work with uh, international companies, and we have a lot of Indian uh, colleagues or Chinese colleagues speaking English. And sometimes we we struggle with understanding one another, and this this is part of it, you know, because uh, we cannot expect that they fix their pronunciation or they speak the way we want them to speak mm-hmm. right away. But again, we need to show understanding that the the root of the language is so different from English that sometimes it's it would be really hard for them to to pronounce the the words or uh, to create some sounds to articulate some sounds exactly as we want them rather than um, showing some awareness that okay so because of their linguistic background the way some sounds are produced uh, they they become like this of course yes okay for the teacher's responsibility or the course responsibility assessment responsibility is to help them um, get closer to uh, the standard form however uh, the, the society, the reality of the society is far from standard sometimes. Yeah, um, I feel like, um, especially when you get to look at German companies, there are some things that they expect from, you know, not only their employees, but also what they can do with the language. And I feel like it's not very realistic, you know. Mm-hmm. But what concerns me is this, um, it's the linguistic segregation, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, the the problem that I see is that you, you you judge a person solely on what they can do with the language. So you know, I'd like to know when you because you live here for I imagine uh, quite a long time. So have you ever faced it, and um, how did you deal with it? Mm, if I understand your question uh, correctly, Stefano, uh, from uh, an English speaker's point of view or from uh, a non-Brazilian or non-Brazilian person, a non-Brazilian person. Mm-hmm. The linguistic segregation, of course, it is there, and uh, yes, you can easily see that. And uh, well, basically because uh, it's not a big uh, proportion of people who speak English, and the the ones who are able to speak English 
or the ones who had the the opportunity or the chance to uh, to to appear in uh, communities who speak English or have the chance to travel abroad or learn English at a language school, um, they have higher chances of getting into better universities or uh, getting uh, better jobs or uh, having the chance to apply and emigrate or, uh, you know, I think it's not only Brazil. I saw this and I worked and taught in Turkey and it was the same thing. And uh, I, in, in Iran, in my country, it's the same story, simply because of the power of uh, the language and the, 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 the license it gives you when uh, you have the, when you learn English. And it's not, it's not a bad thing, but the bad point, the negative point is that it's causing the segregation in, and it's creating ever bigger gaps between the population who is who is able to speak English and the, the part who is not able. Yeah, and um, it's um, I feel like it's uh, such an interesting point of view because especially when you get to look at English teachers, they are not a big portion of the population, and um, I feel like especially you know like that those words that people get attached to, especially like fluency or, or even native speakerism, you know? And I feel like there is always uh, ex expectation versus reality, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it's become this ever um, serious issue and people very seldom think about it, you know? That's true. Yeah, that's exactly the problem. Uh, simply because uh, this is the message that is uh, spread uh, sometimes that uh, you, you're nothing if you if you don't have this or you're incapable if you don't have uh, such and such and we are downgrading or we are uh, ignoring a lot qualities a lot of qualities that people have and uh, I don't know maybe as, as you said that simply by some um, um, shortcuts or creating some, uh, for example, some companies they really don't need a high level of, of English, but uh, their employees can get by with uh, a B1 level of English. Mm. But uh, they they require for a higher level, and they exclude the part of the the society who can get into that position with the the, the current level that they have. And um, you, because you also teach, um, I imagine, prep courses, right? So I do. What is their mindset when they come to your classes? Uh, the mindset is that uh, regarding the, the linguistic segregation, or is it mm -hmm. what you're asking about? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a tough question. I haven't thought through to be very honest. But uh, what I see is that uh, students they encounter uh, the sort of English that apparently they're never gonna use, mm -hmm. or the the expressions that they only see 
and not all of them, of course, but many of them that appear in the exam and they should only know it to to pass the the C2 level. And simply because they they think that this is the, the higher the highest block, okay, it's gonna give me more opportunities. And of course, there are some other students who set a personal challenge for themselves. And it's not that they, they need it for uh, immigration or uh, university purposes, a C2 level I'm talking about because I teach the C2 level for, uh, courses, but uh, Mm, it is, and unfortunately, the, the sad point is that when students fail the, the C2 level or the advanced exam, it has a big impact on their uh, confidence. Uh, and it, they, they think that simply because they failed that exam and they didn't get the results that they had uh, set their heart on initially, they, they lose heart and regaining that confidence uh, takes a lot of yeah, time. And uh, I feel that especially when it comes to certification, you know, it's just a picture that you take at, at a determined uh, moment, you know, because mm -hmm. if you, um, I feel like, especially for language, if you don't mm -hmm. keep, you know, like um, working at it, um, you sort of lose the proficiency, you know. That's so, true. That's true. So to deal with that, Stefan, or something, um, that I've been uh, trying to tell my students is that uh, think of the skills that you acquire, not only the language. Think of, think about the journey. Think of the, all these transferable skills of focus, concentration, hardworking, setting a name, achieving your aim. I think there, these are very important um, positive side uh, effects of taking an exam language and improving your language is one part of course you know there are some some expressions that you see here and probably you're never going to use in your english you might see them in some books but uh, think of the skills that you're going to transfer from uh, preparing for an exam uh, that you work hard and it's a it's a marathon of an exam of nearly four hours and uh, it's long and it's really demanding so this has helped to boost their confidence and now they having this kind of discussion students feel okay so uh, i'm not going to lose if i fail because along this think, journey yeah, I and i think that especially when it comes to certification you have to think about the long run <clears throat> it's not something that you get right at first attempt you know mm -hmm. that's true um, and even if you fail i think that especially in our area um, people get very discouraged from mm -hmm. giving it another go. Yeah, but I know, uh, but I we have to put ourselves in students' shoes that they are spending a fortune for some of them <laughs> to take the test. Yeah, you it's know, quite, we it's, cannot, it's, It is indeed, it is indeed. And uh, another area of area of segregation or prejudice is that the, the, the currency difference that uh, they, they have to pay this uh, exchange rate uh, simply because, you know, um, we, they, they live in a country where they are not using the, the, the powerful currency in the world. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting that you should mention it because, for instance, my brother, he lived in the States for quite a long while 
and um, he lived with people from the, um, if I'm not mistaken, Iraq and also the Arabians. And um, he told me that the people who lived there and who were also fluent in the language were actually quite um, rich families. Exactly. Do say the part of our show in which we ask each other vocabulary questions related to the conversation we've just had. So Mina, um, during the episode you use a very interesting word which is to backfire. Could you just broach a bit on that? Of course. Um, when an action or a plan backfires, it has the opposite uh, result to or effect to the uh, initial uh, thing you had in mind or you had planned for. For example, uh, the the plan backfired uh, because they hadn't thought through the the approach very well. For for instance, and uh, Stefano, you also used an interesting uh, word, uh, sidetracked. Can you tell us a bit? What it means. Yeah, so sidetracked, um, you can also use it as a collocation. So you can use, um, for instance, to get sidetracked or to get distracted. Um, usually, we say it's when something happens and you sort of lose the focus that you had previously. Um, it's a <clears throat> I really like using it because it's also um, what you may call a like sports vocabulary, right? To be sidetracked. Um, so Mina, um, this um, you mentioned quite a great deal actually, uh, which is to hinder. So could you uh, just let us know what it means and how to use it? Sure. Uh, hinder means uh, when um, we make it difficult or something uh, uh, is difficult to develop or succeed. In everyday conversation, we can also say um, something gets in the way of something, rather than it, uh, rather than hinder. So hinder is a more uh, formal word to use. And uh, let me also ask you, uh, Stefano. I'd like you to tell us about the the term you use in the long term. The phrase you used in the long term. What does it mean? Yeah, so, um, um, you know, there's quite a great deal of variations, I think. You could say long term, you can say the long run, and um, it basically means for a longer period of time, you know, like two years, four years. Uh, that's actually um, an expression that I like to use with my students as to, you know, um, know for how long they're, they're determined to, to learn a language. So you, usually you, you can say in the long run, right? And if you haven't heard that vocabulary in our conversation, you may listen to these episodes again and try to spot them all. So, Mina, um, it has been a true joy to talk to you about it. You know, I, if it were up to me, we would talk about it for forever, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Stefano. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And um, guys, tune in next week as we'll be leading another discussion. 
Actually, the next one will be about democracy. So you can follow us on Instagram and tag us at Cultura Inglesa Oficial with your opinions. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for new chapters of the Cultura Inglesa podcast. 